Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. Welcome back to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Our guest today is attorney, speaker, author, and dynamic entrepreneur, Louise Scott. Louise is the co-founder of Eight Figure Firm Consulting and the Bader Scott Injury Lawyers. Louise, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here. Absolutely. Okay, so as we jump in, I would love it if you would take just a couple of minutes and tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got started in this industry and the types of things that kind of led you to where you are today. Yeah, it's actually a, a funny story because I never thought I was going to be a lawyer specifically because I didn't think I was smart enough to be a lawyer. But when I was growing up, my dad used to say, you're either going to be a lawyer or a comedian. And now my joke is I became a comedic lawyer because like I love to joke around. My favorite show is The Office. Like I, I am Michael Scott. I hate to admit it, but like that's me. But an, a less offensive version of that guy. Right. Like I, I uh, but I love to have a good time. And uh, one of my favorite lines in The Office is we goof off so much. We have no choice but to be efficient. And so I, that's kind of like uh, how, how I got into it. I thought, you know, my dad used to say it. But the way that I ended up going to law school is I was in a class being my comedic self. You had to stand up and, and tell a little, about, uh, a little bit about yourself. And it was a business law class. And it was by a judge. And I stood up and I said, I love long walks on the beach and candlelit dinners. Everyone laughed, of course. And then I said, I, I want to be a lawyer one day. And at the end of class, he calls me down. I thought I was in trouble. And, uh, you know, for joking around in his class, he calls me down and he says, do you really want to be a lawyer? I said, I think so, but I'm not smart enough. And he offered me a three month internship and that internship completely changed my life. And it was during that internship that I realized I, that I wanted to be and could be a lawyer, had the confidence. And, I, and then uh, the rest is history, as they say. That is that is fantastic. So tell us a little bit about let's see, I have so many different questions for us for you. So tell us a little bit about unlocking exponential growth and the importance of having a business plan. You've got so many cool topics. I would love if we could just kind of quickly roll through some of those and you can give us sort of an overview for our listeners. So talk to us about having a robust business plan, unlocking and unlocking potential growth. We'll start there. The way that I like to explain it is because everyone's had this experience. You have a, a familiar road, you go down it, it's, it's at 70 miles an hour. If you live in Texas, maybe 90 miles an hour is the speed limit. But you go down this familiar road and on, on a clear day, you can go as fast as you want. You can just really put the pedal down, assuming there's no cops up ahead. That's why you use ways to make sure there's no cops up ahead. But you can go as fast as you want. But on that exact same road, if there's fog, you're not going to go 80, 90 miles an hour. You're, you're looking for an accident. And so business planning and really planning in general is the 
is the way that you clear the fog. It's the way that you create clarity. It's the way that you allow yourself the, the greatest ramp period or, or space to accelerate in your business. And so one of the things that I, there's two phrases that I really teach uh, lawyers, entrepreneurs. And the first one is that uh, planning creates clarity and clarity allows for speed and the speed of growth is tied to the speed of implementation. And so to me, the business plan is a, is a living document that allows you to see more clearly, allows you to see further down the road. And when you can do that, then all you have to do is drop the top on that convertible and go as fast as you want. I love that, Stan. I know you do too. And I had actually seen that quote from you, the speed of growth is tied to the speed of implementation. And I love that. I feel like sometimes that's certainly a place where where I struggle is with that implementation. So lots of nuggets of wisdom there. Talk to us about predictability. You also say that predictability is what breeds prosperity. What is What do you mean by that? To me, prosperity is not about finances. You know, you'll learn this uh, if you're a listener and and you're already a seven-figure earner, you, you will understand this. Or if you're aspiring to be a seven-figure earner, you will understand this when you get there. But at some point, you don't really need more money. What you want is peace of mind. And predictability provides that. That's why true prosperity is in peace of mind. And so predictability in your business, when you know for a fact that you're going to generate a certain amount of revenue, that you're going to generate a certain amount of profit, that you're going to generate a certain amount of money for your family, that brings tremendous peace of mind. And so what I, what I want people to take away is don't look for profits. Don't look to make more money. Look to create more predictability in your life. And if you do that, you're going to have more peace because then you don't have to worry about what people worry about on a day-to-day. I remember just coming out of, of college and making $40,000 a year. There was no peace there. Uh, there was no peace at all. I didn't know if I was going to be employed the next day. You know, but when I got to a point where my business was producing predictable revenues and profits, it, it let me relax. It let me really enjoy my life and be able to give to people the best of me and not what was left of me. And that, that's why predictability is so powerful. Awesome. Okay, Stan, I know you have tons of questions for Luis. What do you have? We have, have tons, many questions, more questions than, than we have time to get answered. But following up on this conversation about predictability, I know that you you, you have a practice and you also consult with other law firms on, on how to help grow their practice. What, what are uh, a couple of strategies that you use to create that, help firms create that predictability? Yeah, you know, one of the things about businesses in general is they're not always in the same stage of life, right? You go through seasons of your business. There are seasons where you're trying to figure out how to get clients. There are seasons where you're trying to figure out how to get employees. There are seasons where you're trying to figure out how to keep employees. There are seasons where you're trying to figure out how to you know, make more money and market better. And so the first thing is identifying where you are and what season you're in. And I have a business funnel that I teach. And the business funnel is you create awareness to generate leads. Leads give you sales opportunities. Sales opportunities give you sales. Sales gives you work. Work gives you the need for people. People create efficiency and efficiency creates profit. And so we identify first where the person is in, the, in that sales funnel or in that, that funnel of business. And then we start attacking that area. So if the person is having difficulty generating leads, then we know we need to create more awareness. That means we need to market more. If the person is having problems with, with sales, so that let, let's say they have leads, but the sales are not there, then we work on sales training and sales conversion, accelerating the sales conversion rate. If the person is having pr- production issues, then we ask, do we have enough people? Do we have the right of systems and the right efficiency? And so depending on where you are, that's what we're going to attack. And I heard this recently, I think it was Alex Hormozzi who said, that millionaires remove one constraint at a time, billionaires remove two constraints or more at a time. 
And so the question is, where are your constraints? How do you remove them? And the more constraints you can remove at a time, the faster you're going to grow. And so it's all about identifying first where you are and then starting to remove those constraints. Well, that makes total sense to me, actually. Great way to think about it. And so yeah, it's not always marketing, right? Sometimes it is, how do I get this work done that I have actually in my pipeline? So you know, this, this whole conversation about uh, empowering the workforce is a really interesting conversation now. I just saw on uh, CNBC, you know, like a few days ago that the CEO of Zoom Mm-hmm. Is now decided that uh, she is uh, she's going to require Zoom employees to come to work. I think two or three days a week. I thought, how crazy is that, right? Zoom, yeah, of all people, Zoom is saying, "Wait, you got to come to work," right? So, mm-hmm. so I know during COVID, everybody went home to work, and that worked pretty well. And you had to, right? But now we're in kind of an interesting place. So, what are you what are you seeing out there now in terms of uh, this uh, this dichotomy of working in the office, working at home, uh, are you finding that a lot of people that you work with are now requiring employees to come back to work? And if so, what kind of pushback are you seeing and how's that working? Man, that's that, that's a very complicated issue because there's there's uh, philosophies on each side that are entrenched in their own position. And, and if you want to talk about this topic, you got to take a stance. And so I decided I was going to take a stance and my stance was people should work in the office. Now that's really controversial. I don't want anybody to just shut off the show yet because like there's a reason for this. And the reason is that many of us, and I would say probably 80% of people are not self-disciplined. They're not capable of disciplining themselves to do the work at a high level. Now, what happens with us is that we will find two, three, four, 10 people. We have a small organization, maybe 15 people. And we find 15 people who are go-getters, who actually are self-motivated. And we use what's called survivor's bias to say, well, I survived as a virtual firm or I survived as a virtual business because I have really good go-getters. So therefore, people can work from home. And I don't think at scale that's true. I think the, uh, the, the weight loss industry will tell you that most people need help and accountability to get things done. If you judge production of individual employees in your organization, you'll find that they're more productive when they have accountability. And we haven't been able to figure out how to create accountability in a, in a work from home context, not at scale because it's very hard to monitor the work of people when they're not around. And so my stance is that working from home reduces production. Now, one of the things that was happening during COVID was that people were really excited about the opportunity to work from home, and they really wanted to show that it was possible. But as that excitement and enthusiasm started to wane, you started to see those levels of production continue to decline, so much so that uh, several companies found that people were working less than two hours a day working from home. They were just sitting around watching Netflix and not doing anything. So in a small scale, limited sample size, you could probably find people that work from home. In a big scale, it's going to be much more difficult to find that. And so using that information and that data, what I call the greatest work from home experiment in our lifetime, you can now position your your conversations differently. And the conversation for me is, listen, employees, I understand that you want to work from home, but here's what I have found. Most people are not self-dedicated enough to work from home. So what we're going to do we're going to give you the opportunity to work from home. We're going to give you the opportunity to earn work from home days through your performance. And if you can demonstrate that you can work well in the office and you do it consistently over a period of time, we'll be more than happy to grant you some work from home home time. And that has worked really well for us. Now, there has been some pushback. And what I'll tell people, if they, if they have the same philosophy that I have about working from home, then they should do one thing that's critical to finding these people that want to work in the office. And that is asking the question up front, do you like working in the office? That is a prerequisite for us. 
We, we ask that up front. We want people who like to work in the office because we believe that it creates a better culture, better camaraderie, more production. And it's evident in the fact that when I compare the numbers that we have for our business and our law firm to other law firms who are primarily, primarily the virtual, our revenue per employee is almost sometimes double of what these virtual law firms is. And it's because of the level of accountability you can have when you're working in the office. One of the other things I know that you speak about a lot, very anxious to hear your comments on this, is, is creating, creating a culture. So you, you, know, you talk about creating a thriving company culture. So what are some ideas about, well, first of all, speak to the importance of that. And then if you can, share some ideas about, uh, give me some actionable things. Like what can we do at the ground level to actually, actually create the kind of culture? I think for a long time, people were thinking that culture was like ping pong tables and pool tables and, and, you know, kegerators. And cause that's what we saw Google and some of those Facebooks do, but, but culture is not that culture is the feeling and the experience that people have when they come to work. It's, it's the way they think about their job. It's the way they think about the work product that they're doing. It's the way they feel about their future and how they, how can they can progress in the company. It's the way that they can, they communicate with their coworkers. That's what really is culture. And I think we have missed the mark in a lot of those areas. We don't tell people how they can progress in the company. We don't show them a future. We don't tell them how important their job is. We don't define a vision and a mission for the company. We don't create synergy amongst the employees. And then we wonder why people don't like working in, a, in an environment or why people believe that that environment is toxic. Seth Godin talks about this in The Saga Significance. And that is that if, if you create an environment where people feel like their work product is significant, people will produce better for you and they'll be there longer. And so one of the things that I try to, to, to teach us two phrases, I say, uh, we have a daily huddle in our, in our firm and we do an all hands huddle on a Wednesday morning. And I, and I say two things. Number one is you have one life experience and we want to make sure that it's the best experience possible. Like that's one of the most important things uh, for us. But the second thing is we want to create a place where people enjoy coming to work. And so it's designing an office that revolves around enjoying the workplace and enjoying what you do. And so some of the actionable things that you can do is number one, be very clear on your vision and mission for your business. Ed Milet says, make a business vision and mission so big that everyone else can fulfill their lives, dreams, and goals within your, your, your business. Now that is a very powerful statement. So if you make your business big enough, everyone else can achieve their dreams in it. So that's number one, having a very powerful vision and mission. The number two is having a workplace that people actually enjoy coming to. And so making sure that it's comfortable making sure that you have the right systems and products and tools and resources, have that coffee machine, pay for lunch and breakfast every once in a while. Number three is actually be intentional about relational connectivity. I quote books a lot because it's, it's, I love to read, but the coaching habit, he talks about how productivity increases by 80% through relational connectivity. So being intentional about relationship building. Uh, if you do those three things, I think you're going to have a culture that's thriving and people that are producing at a high level. Three great ideas. You also talk about the importance of professional development, investing in that. Speak to that. John Maxwell's law of the lid, right? He says that you're going to be limited to the, to the capacity of, of your leadership. And I, and I add to that and I say, you're going to be limited to the capacity of your weakest leader. And so I believe that your leadership, really everyone should be developing themselves. They should be reading. They should be encouraging themselves to become better than they were. I recently joined a coaching group. It's, it's about uh, physical fitness. I am not an elite athlete for those of you guys who are listening to this and not watching it. I'm not there, but I'm going to get there. And the group is all about becoming elite. How do you become the 1% in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, in your emotions? And I think that reading what it does and developing yourself, what it does is it helps you become better. 
it helps you become the person you were created to be. You know, I'm a man of faith, so I believe we were created to be something. And so how do you become what you were created to be? Like you have to develop yourself in the same way you have to develop your body and your muscles so that it can be the absolute best. And so for me, professional development is how a business grows. If you encourage your people to grow, they're going to see opportunities for themselves in your business or maybe even outside of your business, but you get the benefit of that. I've had some really amazing people come through our business who grow, who develop themselves, and we didn't have a space for them anymore. And they go somewhere else and we applaud them because I don't believe in burning bridges. We applaud them because we were hard. We were the the vessel. We were the vehicle. We were the opportunity for them to self-actualize and become everything that they were made to be. And I believe there's a reward in that, a universal reward where we get the benefit of their success because we facilitated it and we weren't the person who was keeping them down. And I think that that's why you should encourage professional development. Amazing. Tell me about, tell me about the work you do. I know you, you really have two career tracks, right? Two parallel tracks, right? You have the law firm and you have the consulting business. So, so law firms, we understand. And I guess you're, I mean, well, tell me, take a second, tell me about your law firm. So our law firm is a personal injury and workers comp firm, and we have about 30 lawyers that work at the firm. And when we were around 125 to 130 employees, I realized I didn't have much to do. Now, uh, some people said, well, I could have found something to do. Uh, Sure, I could have found something to do, but I was kind of like maxed out. I'd been in the legal industry 20 years. I was kind of maxed out and tapped out on my desire to do much more. And it was something that my business partner and I had spoken about. It was like, I I just don't really want to do much more. Like I want to hire people to do that. And so we began to hire people and some executives to come run the business. I was the acting COO of the business. And uh, I found myself working five hours a week and asking at the age of 38, what do I do now? I mean, we have a multi eight figure business, super profitable. I have all the things I need materially. Like, what do I do with my life? And I love teaching. And so I decided, why don't I start helping people do the same thing? And so in 2020, in the midst of COVID, I launched a coaching company to help people live the life that I was living or or the life that I thought was excellent, which was having a job that produced uh, predictable revenue for you, predictable income for you so that you could focus on doing the things you love like I was doing. And so the coaching business was started. We've worked with over a hundred law firms now. We help them scale. Our goal is to get them to 10 million in predictable revenue where they're earning multiple seven figures in personal income. And I get so much joy just seeing another firm and another firm process seven-figure mark because there's nothing, there's nothing sweeter than seeing someone go from the hope and desire and dream of making seven figures to actually making seven figures. It's super special. And so that's what I'm in today. I'm in the, I'm in the process of uh, building people so their companies can grow and provide them the lifestyle that they want for their families. And very, very amazing. So is, is the focus uh, on personal injury firms or do you work with other kinds of practices? I work with all, all kinds of practices. Personal injury firms make up about 15% of our law firms. I can't say that was by design. I think initially I went into it thinking I would work with personal injury firms, but we have found a tremendous amount of success in all kinds of practice areas. And uh, and and so many times people refer who they know. So if you, if you get an immigration firm, they know other immigration firms, so they refer immigration firms. So you end up you know, with a lot of immigration firms and family law firms and criminal law firms, You know, all the transactional things, estate planning, uh, business litigation, et cetera, because they just refer who they know. Yeah, interesting. So, okay, Katie Beth, I have other questions, but uh, I know we we'd have a lot of time left. So let me hand you hand you the microphone. Perfect. Yeah. So one question, and we so before we actually hit go on the podcast today, Luis and I actually talked a little bit about legacy and our family's personal legacies and that type of thing. So 
my question for you, Luis, is what, through all the work that you do with, with the legal work, with your role as a leader in your family and as a man of faith, and then, of course, with, through your, your consulting work as well, what is it you hope your legacy will be? So uh, there's a there's a quote in the movie The Gladiator where they're getting ready to go into battle and they're about to charge into near certain death. And he yells at the men and he says, may what you do today echo in eternity. And I, that is a, a phrase that I've always just really thought about. And my hope, my legacy is my personal vision statement, which is to lead a life of significance. I hope what I'm doing today and helping families, both through the law firm, we help five to 6,000 families a year. And now through the through the consulting business where we're helping hundreds of law firms every single year, my hope is that my life echoes in eternity and that my kids uh, can look at their, their dad one day as an adult and say, my father was meaningful and he was meaningful to so many people and we want to continue that legacy. And uh, I was mentioning about how uh, my kid is named the third and my, my, my greatest dream would be like your kids to be the, you know, them to have a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and, and that, that we do enough to where they are proud of that name. It's something that I tell my sons all the time. I always tell them, you're a Scott and don't ever forget that uh, because I think uh, remembering who you are and what you stand for is so powerful. So I just want a legacy where, where my life actually meant something one day. I love that. That is beautiful. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would like our listeners to know? Yeah. So I actually wrote a book. It's called It Has to Hurt. And it goes about my, uh, my, my challenges and struggles, my failures. I've had eight business failures, relationship challenges. I was uh, let go from my previous partnership. So there's a, there's a lot of, uh, of nuggets in there on how to overcome. At the end of every chapter, I, I talk about one strategy you could use to overcome a particular part of, of, of this challenge in your life. And uh, I'd love to offer it uh, to anyone who uh, reaches out to me on my website and uh, be free, you know, feel free to offer it uh, free of charge to anyone who wants to read the book. That is fantastic. I'm so glad that you know I had, had it on my list to mention the book, but we were asking so many great questions. We just never, never got there. Well, thank you to all of our listeners so much for joining us again. This has been the Legacy Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Dan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Our guest today was Luis Scott. And for more information on Luis and the work that he does, you can visit LuisScottJr.com. And we're also going to link that in the show notes for you. So if you're interested in work with the law firm, his work as a consultant, his book, his podcast, or anything else that Luis has covered today, feel free to go to LuisScottJr.com and get connected with all of those resources. Thank you again so much for listening. And Luis, thank you so much for joining us. We had a wonderful time. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.